Evening, church family. We are returning to our study of the Gospel of Mark tonight. Uh, we took a break last week, but we're jumping back in tonight at the end of chapter 14 and the beginning of chapter 15 as we look at uh, the events of the night uh, when Jesus was betrayed toward the end of that night and then the morning when Jesus was handed over to Pilate. Uh, we've been in this study for a long time and um, it's uh, God's kindness to us that uh, we just happen to be, so to speak, happen to be um, at the right moment, right before Easter, to uh, look at some of these events right at the end of Jesus' life, uh, leading up to his crucifixion, right as we are thinking about his death and resurrection uh, heading into uh, Easter. So uh, we're going to pick it up in uh, Mark 14, verse 66. And we'll go through uh, chapter 15, uh, verse 15. So here, here's what the scripture says. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So one of the things that uh, struck me about this passage as I was preparing this tonight, there's so much here, right? Uh, one of the things that struck me is how uh, we see around Jesus various people who... Uh, fail, who sin, who act in unrighteous and ungodly ways, and in the midst 
of that. Jesus, the one who's actually suffering and being mistreated, um, is the one who is uh, noble and, and righteous and is doing what is good. So uh, it'll be interesting to see as we uh, work through these verses to see how the people around Jesus are put in contrast to Jesus. And, and in doing that, uh, Mark shows us the weakness of humanity, not just of these people in particular, but in some sense, all of us can see ourselves somewhere in this passage. So uh, we begin with uh, Peter's brazen denial of Jesus. He lies more than once, um, and he denies Jesus, whom he uh, has followed for three years, whom he pledged to be loyal and faithful to, um, in just the course of a few verses, he uh, acts like and, and talks like he doesn't even know who Jesus is. So uh, we're told that Peter was in the courtyard in verse 66, and there was a servant girl of the high priest. Remember, Peter is is just outside uh, the high priest's house where this uh, council has been convened and where this trial or pseudo-trial is taking place. And Peter's outside watching to see, waiting to see what's going to happen. And so there's a servant girl who comes and uh, says to Peter, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. You were with him, weren't you? And Peter says, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I neither know nor understand what you mean, is what he says. Um, And then the rooster crowed once. And then the servant girl saw him again, verse 69. And she said to the people who were, who were standing around, she said, this man is one of them. She's, she's convinced right, that Peter belongs with Jesus. But verse 70 says, again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, verse 70, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Remember, they're in Jerusalem while this trial is taking place. Jesus is from Galilee, particularly from Nazareth. And his disciples were drawn from Galilee as well. And so what are the odds, right, that this Galilean would be hanging out in the courtyard of the high priest in Jerusalem and not be attached to Jesus, right? So they recognize you must be one of his followers because you're from Galilee too. Otherwise, why are you here? But then verse 71 says, Peter began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Right? So he uh, calls down a, a curse on himself, essentially, pronounces an oath, swearing that he doesn't even know Jesus. The one who just hours before said he'd be willing to die with Jesus. Um, and it's at that time that uh, it says Peter remembered how Jesus had said, after the rooster crowed a second time, that's when Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Uh, Peter genuinely did love Jesus. Right? His, his denials don't call that into question. In fact, uh, most of you will be familiar with the way that Jesus restores Peter in John 21, where he asks him three times, do you love me? And every time Peter said, Lord, you know that I love you. Um, Peter was restored. Peter was broken over his sin. Uh, Jesus uh, did not cast Peter aside because of these denials, even though 
uh, Peter sinned in this grievous, horrible way, uh, Jesus did not cast him off. Jesus did not say, you're finished, you're done. I don't need followers like you. I need people who will stand by me in my darkest hour. No, Jesus continued to show compassion and love to Peter and continued to use Peter, uh, continued to uh, call Peter uh, to ministry right, and continue to use him throughout the book of Acts. So um, it's inc- as, as much as this story is dark and sad and hard, um, it's also encouraging because we know the rest of the story, right? That we know that this was not the end of Peter's usefulness. It was not the end of his ministry, right? Unlike Judas, who took his own life, um, Peter is broken and, uh, and is restored. So um, we see uh, Jesus, right, suffering um, willing to endure this trial and all the, um, you know, the sort of foolishness that went along with it as they were trying to accumulate false witnesses and whatnot. Um, Jesus was willing to speak the truth. Um, Peter was not. Peter lied and denied the truth, and yet Jesus loved him and forgave him and restored him. So um, then, then the next thing we see is how... Um, the chief priests uh, handed over Jesus to Pilate out of envy. Uh, So then it says, as soon as it was morning, this is chapter 15, verse 1, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. Pilate is the governor over Judea appointed by Rome. So uh, remember, Rome is in power. Jerusalem, or, or is the nation of Israel, is not free at this time. Um, they have a Roman governor appointed over them. That's why they're Roman soldiers they have to pay taxes to Rome and all the rest. So Pilate is the Roman governor. He's a Gentile, and um, the chief priests hand Jesus over to Pilate, which is exactly what Jesus said would happen. Right, that the the rulers of his own people would uh, hand him over to the Gentiles. And Pilate asked Jesus in verse 2, are you the king of the Jews? Now that's a loaded question, right? Because um, Caesar is supposed to be the only real king, uh, and Pilate is there representing his rule. And so the question is, Jesus, do you pose a threat to Caesar's rule. That's apparently what the chief priests had told Pilate um, about why uh, Jesus should be condemned. So uh, he asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Now, another part of why that question is loaded is because the Messiah, the promised savior of Israel that the Old Testament speaks of from Genesis 3.15 all the way to the end, that promised savior and deliverer is a king. He comes from David's line to sit on David's throne, to reign over the house of Israel, and to bring into the world a uh, kingdom of righteousness and joy and peace that will never end. And so Jesus is a king, is the king, is the king of the Jews, but not in the way that Pilate thinks and not in the way that the chief priests have probably led Pilate to think. And yet when Pilate asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? 
Jesus does not deny it, but he says, you have said so. Well, yeah, you said it. Um, and, and he doesn't deny it, though um, Pilate does not understand in what sense Jesus is a king. Jesus has not come to overthrow Rome. Uh, he's not come to set Israel free politically. Uh, he has come bringing the kingdom of God that reigns over all, uh, over all kingdoms, above Caesar, right? But not necessarily bringing revolt against Caesar. Um, as he says, um, you know, elsewhere, his kingdom is not of this world, right? So um, uh, he says, I, I'm a king. Um, and then in verse 3 says, The chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? So once again, false accusations are being hurled against Jesus. And in the face of those, he remains silent. He doesn't plead his own cause. He doesn't justify himself. He doesn't point out how um, ridiculous, no doubt, some of those charges were. Um, he just stands there quietly. And, and verse 5 says, Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. He just couldn't believe that somebody would have all those accusations thrown against them and not try to defend themselves. So the chief priests hand over, Pil or hand over Jesus to Pilate and we find out why in verse 10. So skipping down to verse 10 for just a moment. Pilate um, was a savvy politician, right? You don't get to be a Roman governor uh, by, you know, being slow on the uptake. He was a savvy politician, though not, um, not uh, acting nobly in this instance, of course, but he, he knew a thing or two about people. And verse 10 says, he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered Jesus up. So Pilate saw through the ruse of the chief priests. He knew that they weren't handing him over because they were genuinely concerned about Jesus posing a threat to Rome so much as they were concerned about Jesus posing a threat to their own rule, to their own power. His popularity uh, had superseded theirs and they were envious of him. And that's why they handed him over. So you've got Peter who's lying about knowing Jesus. You've got the chief priests who are supposed to be uh, the highest religious leaders in the land who ought to be helping people to believe the scriptures, understand the scriptures, uh, live in light of the scriptures, handing over the Messiah that the scriptures promised because they're jealous of him, because they envy him, and they want to hold on to their own power. And then you have Pilate, who's in a position of leadership, uh, expected to do what is just and noble and right, who instead lacks the courage to do what is right. Verse 6 says, um, At the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked, and among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. So it was normal at this time of year for Pilate to release one of Israel's prisoners, um, in part because the Passover season was um, a rather uh, emotionally fraught time, so to speak, from the Roman perspective. There's so many people flocking to Jerusalem full of 
zeal for the scriptures. They're remembering how God delivered them from the Egyptians during the Exodus. If ever there's going to be a revolution, a revolt, an uprising against Rome, uh, full of hope that God will deliver his people from the Roman authorities, it's probably going to happen at Passover. Uh, And so perhaps for that reason, uh, uh, Pilate had this custom of releasing one of their prisoners at this time to sort of appease and placate them and and probably tamp down any you know excitement and fervor that would be boiling up and so there was somebody who would have fit the bill perfectly he was a guy named barabbas he had murdered somebody in an insurrection meaning he had tried to overthrow rome or been a part of a movement to try to overthrow rome and had killed somebody probably a roman um during that process. And so, um, though when we hear him described as a murderer, we immediately think this is somebody nobody would like. It's very possible that the Jewish people held him as a hero. Um, this is somebody who's trying to fight, or at least some of the Jewish people, this is somebody who's, you know, trying to fight back against Rome. So, um, there's this guy, Barabbas, and, and Pilate, uh, you know, has the option to release this guy to them. Um, But he instead says in verse 9, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? How about I let Jesus go? Um, And that's when it says that he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. So Pilate's recognizing it may not be the people who want Jesus uh, in jail and ultimately put to death. Maybe it's just the chief priest. So maybe if I appeal to the crowd, they will want me to let Jesus go and then I can get out of this mess. But it doesn't work that way. Verse 11 says the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. So the chief priests get the people, the crowd of people, to, to call for Barabbas instead of for Jesus to be released. And so then Pilate says, well, what do you want me to do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And the crowd, the, uh, the crowd uh, cried out. It says they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate says, what evil has he done? He hasn't even done anything wrong. Why would we need to crucify him? But they shouted all the more, it says, crucify him. So here's Pilate's failure, verse 15. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So Pilate says he has no reason to kill Jesus. Jesus has not done anything wrong. And yet the crowd is baying for Jesus' blood, calling out for him to be crucified. And so Pilate, because he wants to appease the crowd, does what he knows is unjust, knows, does what he knows is not deserved, and puts Jesus to death. He has him scourged and then hands him over to be crucified. So Pilate lacks the courage to do what is right and to stand up for an innocent person against the mob and instead hands Jesus over uh, to be killed in order to satisfy them. And uh, probably, as, as uh, um, someone has said, you know, he just didn't want a bad report going back to Rome and for him to get in trouble. So if, if he didn't keep the Jews happy, they would have reported him to Caesar, and that might have been the end of his career. So he's uh, looking out for himself instead of doing what a governor and a judge ought to do, which is doing what is just. So you've got Peter who's lying, you've got the chief priests who are envious, you've got Pilate who's looking out for himself, and then finally you have Barabbas who killed somebody trying to essentially usher in the kingdom, 
right, trying to deliver his uh, nation, his people from Roman oppression, and did so by taking the life of somebody else. You put that in contrast with Jesus, who has come to deliver his people, not from Rome, but from sin, right? Not from uh, bondage to Roman power, but from bondage to the power of sin. And Jesus does not take anybody's life. In fact, when Peter tried to fight for Jesus several verses earlier, he uh, told Peter to stop and healed the man that uh, Peter had cut the ear off of. And Jesus instead brings in the true kingdom of God, not by taking somebody else's life, but by laying his own life down. So in this uh, set of stories, right, these several scenes that we see of Jesus here leading up to his crucifixion, uh, Jesus's glory is on display. His perfect, sinless humanity, his humility, his righteousness, his truth, his love, his courage uh, are all on display while all the people around him are failing, are lying, are lacking in courage, are envious, are seeking to advance God's will uh, in the wrong way. Um, And so we are uh, reminded in in these stories of why we all need Jesus, whether we're like Peter or like the chief priests or like Barabbas or like Pilate, All of us are weak. All of us sin. All of us fall short of what God intended us to be and what God intends for us to do. But in the midst of all of our failures stands Jesus, the perfect one, the sinless one, willing to lay down his life for the very people who are sinning against him and around him. In that we see the love and mercy and faithfulness of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord bless you.